Well, we are in week 10 of our 10-week series on the Ten Commandments. And um, so I want to bring, we're coming to commandment number 10 today, and so I want to give just a few words of introduction to that regard. According to statistics, we hear over 300 advertisements, or see, over 300 advertisements on a daily basis in America. It's pretty astounding when you get to thinking about it. Commercials, billboards, posters, um, constantly is in our face. And there's one theme that links all of these advertisements together. They have different things that they're all advertising. But one thing that links them all together, and that is that whatever you and I already have isn't good enough. That we need something bigger, that we need something better, that we need something more fancy, uh, more so than what we've got. Now, this is what God wants to talk to you and I about here in commandment number 10. Commandment number 10 is all about not being greedy. It's about learning to be content with what we do have. St. Francis of Assisi said, People have confessed to me every sin except for the sin of greed. It's often not talked about in the church, but that's what we want to talk about today And it comes to us from commandment number 10. So I'm going to invite you, if you would, to stand with me for the reading from God's Word. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. Remember, we stand week in and week out as a reminder to ourselves that this is where truth comes from. Your Facebook friends may think that they're spouting off God's wisdom for the ages. But uh, this is where God's wisdom is. It's in written form. And so let's read God's words of truth. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Now, in order to pull out the full meaning of what commandment number 10 is talking about, we followed a pattern over the last several weeks where we ask and answer several questions. Today, I have four questions for you. The first of those questions is, what exactly is commandment number 10 talking about? What does it mean, do not covet? Well, Exodus chapter 20, verse 17 says, we just read it, that you shall not cover your neighbor's house, you shall not cover, covet your neighbor's wife or his servants or his ox or his donkey or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Uh, so there's a number of things that are listed off here. To covet something means to long for something. It means to lust after something. It means to want something that is currently not yours, something that you don't have, but that somebody else has. As commandment number 10 implies, we can covet almost anything in our life. We can covet our neighbor's house. We can covet our neighbor's kitchen. We can covet our neighbor's car. We can covet their boat, their clothes, their shoes, or maybe even their children. We can covet their iPhone or their iPad or the smoker that they've got out back behind their house. We can covet their gun collection. We can even covet their backyard playset. We can covet all kinds of things. We can even covet our neighbor's wife. We can covet our neighbor's uh, husband. We can covet other people's success. We can covet other people's position, their status in life. We can cover other people's talents, their athletic ability, their popularity, their personality, or even their good looks. Friends, coveting is a problem. This is my point. Covening is a problem for the whole of the human race. There's not a one of us in here today to whom this idea of coveting does not impact because every one of us has a sinful human nature and coveting is simply a way for, that our human nature operates. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 20 says, Death and destruction are never satisfied and neither are the eyes of a sinful man. Death and destruction are never satisfied, nor are the eyes that are coveting. 
This is why John Ruskin, the famous philosopher, said, and I quote, We have two basic aims in life. Just two. One is, whatever we have, we want to get more of. And wherever we are, we want to be somewhere else. That pretty well sums it up, doesn't it? Whatever we have, we want more of it. Or wherever we are, we want to be someplace else. Now, it's important for us as we're defining the sin of coveting for us to note that coveting is not so much an outward sin as it is an inward attitude or an inward sin. Covening is something, friends, that happens at the deepest recesses of our souls, and it's possible for us to violate commandment number 10 and for this never to be visible to our fellow man. Uh, this is why the sin of covening is not written up in any of our civil law codes. For example, in our civil law codes, it says, do not murder, right? We know we've got laws in the books that say it's wrong for you to murder. We have laws in our books that say it's wrong for you to steal. These are some of the commandments that God gave. But nowhere in any of our civil laws does it say you can't want what somebody else has. The reason being is because you can't see what somebody's thinking. You can't prove that that's necessarily what's going on in their mind. And so for a lawyer, they can't go and prosecute something that they can't see. But the difference is our God, the God of the Bible, the God of the universe, sees at the deepest inner recesses of our hearts. He knows what the motivations of our mind are. This is why 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7 says, Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Let's summarize. Commandment number 10 is calling us to a life of contentment. And just to be clear, contentment doesn't mean that you don't want to advance yourself in life. Contentment doesn't mean that you don't work hard. It simply means that while we are advancing ourselves, while we are working hard, we are content with the success that God has given us at this present time. That's what that is. It simply means that we enjoy the material things that God has given us at the present time and that we do not disobey God in order to run after and go get more. Commandment number 10 is not about how much we possess. It's not about how little we possess. But it's about the spiritual condition of our heart. That's what commandment number 10 is about. Question number two. Why did God put commandment number 10 in the Bible? And why is it such an important thing? Why does God make such a big deal out of this commandment about not coveting, not wanting what our neighbor has? Well, the answer is... God knows the sins of the hand, that is the outward sins, when we act out in a way that oftentimes those are rooted in our heart. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 19, he said, For out of the heart come the evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false testimony and slander, all of these outward sins, the things where we're, we're, we're sinning against another person. Jesus says these are all outward acts, outward sins, but they start at the level of a person's heart. This is why Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 says, Above all else, above all else, guard your heart. Because this is the doorstep to beginning to have outward sins. When it comes to the sins of the heart, I believe that coveting is the most deadliest, the most dangerous of them all. And this is why God makes such a big point about the sin of coveting. Um, because the sin of coveting, lack of contentment, greed, is what I would refer to as a mother sin, a mother sin. Um, my daughter got chicken pox back when she was around two years of age, our youngest daughter. And she still has a little mark right here 
where the first of those chicken pox popped out. She was like just a couple weeks from going and getting inoculated. But anyhow, she ended up with chicken pox, got all covered up. Some of y'all remember chicken pox back in the day. Kids don't tend to get them these days. But anyhow, so she got that chicken pox really bad, covered up all of her face, her belly, the whole business. But she had the one right up over her lip that was the largest and the biggest. And the, when we went to the doctor to say, what's going on here? We think it's chicken pox. He said, yeah, it is. He said, and look, you can see that big, large one that she's got right over her lip. He said, that's the mother pox. That's where it all started. That's where everything got going. And I was like, okay, well, that's an interesting term. But, hey, that kind of applies here, too. The sin of coveting is kind of like a mother sin, if you would. It's the sin where many of the other sins of the heart begin to um, unfold. Um, This is why, if you think about it, if we're not content with the husband or wife that we have, it will lead us to break commandment number seven, do not commit adultery. If we're inwardly greedy, it will lead us to break commandment number eight, either illegal or civilized stealing. If we're not inwardly content with what we have or what we've got, it will lead us to break commandment number nine, to go and slander and gossip and tear down other people. The mother's sin of coveting, of discontentment, of greed, is a lethal and deadly sin, which is why God warns us all throughout the Scriptures, not just here in commandment number 10, but all throughout the Scriptures about this sin. Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, Jesus said, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Against all kinds of greed. The Apostle Paul said, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 7, For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Listen now, he said, People who want to get rich fall into, and then he lists off a whole bunch of negative consequences that come as a result of, of making this the, the desire of your life. He said they fall into temptation and a trap. In other words, they get caught up in this. They begin pursuing this. This pursuit of riches begins to own them. And they fall into many foolish and harmful desires. And they plunge, and it plunges men into ruin and destruction. He says in verse 10, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith. He doesn't say it's wrong, again, to advance yourself. He doesn't say it's wrong to, to pursue uh, worldly wealth. However, he says, we can't make that the central driving passion of our life. He says, they, and, and people who do, he says, have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. If you want some examples of how greed, how discontentment can destroy your life, the Bible is full of them. How about Eve in the garden? Satan came to her and said, hey, look, you eat this fruit of this tree and you'll be like God. You'll have something that you don't have now. And it led to, and when she agreed to do that, when she agreed to go forward that, it led to a disaster. How about David? David wasn't content with the wives that he had. He coveted Bathsheba, and the result was a disaster. Achan got greedy in the book of Numbers. He took some of the spoils from the city of Jericho. The Israelites had come, circled the city of Jericho. The walls had fallen. They rushed in. They uh, decimated the local population. And God said, but don't take any loot out of that city. But Achan did. He took it, went back to his tent, buried a hole in the ground, buried in, in in the floor of his tent. And as a result of that, it ended up costing Achan his very life. Absalom, the son of King David, wanted his father's throne. And Absalom, as a result of coveting his father's throne, ended up leading into family strife, into civil war for the nation, and it ended up costing Absalom his life as well. You ever heard of a guy named Gehazi? Say, no, we don't have anybody like that on our work site or uh, at our job. 
Well, let me tell you about Gehazi. Gehazi was a fellow that comes to us from the Old Testament. He was an assistant, a personal assistant of the prophet Elisha. Elisha had had a, a soldier, actually a, a general, a pretty serious general, come to him. He was a general over the Assyrian army. His name was Naaman, and Naaman had been struck with a plague of leprosy. Naaman comes to Elisha for healing. Elisha heals him, and out of just appreciation for what Elisha has done, Naaman wants to give shower uh, Elisha with all this silver. He wants to give him a whole bunch of money. And Elisha says, hey, look, there's no need to, to, to give me anything. Thank you very much. I appreciate your, your, your kind gesture, but no thanks. Well, a little while later, uh, Gehazi, Elisha's assistant, sneaks off on his own. And uh, he went to Naaman and he said, you remember that gift of money that my, my master said he didn't want? Well, actually, he's changed his mind. Well, had Elisha changed his mind? No, he hadn't changed his mind. He didn't want the. He didn't didn't change his mind at all, and so. Uh, he, but but Gehazi, misrepresenting him, says, "Well, he'd like to accept it now." And so, um, Naaman puts it, puts in Gehazi's arms just armloads full of silver, a whole bunch of silver, and Gehazi took that back with him, and he hid it in his house. A little bit later, Second Kings chapter five, verse twenty six, Elisha finds out about it, and he goes to his assistant Gehazi, and here's what he says: He says, "My brother." Is this the time to receive money or clothes or oxen or vineyards? Verse 27, because of your greed, he says, Naaman's leprosy will now cling to you and to your descendants. And Gehazi went away from Elisha's presence, and he was leprous as white as snow. You want some modern examples of how greed and how discontentment in life can lead to uh, utter ruin and destruction? I mean, how about a guy by the name of Rod Blagojevich. Remember Rod Blagojevich up in Illinois a couple of years ago? Um, how it led to his downfall, pilfering money out of the, out of the coffers of the state. Um, Bernie Madoff, Enron, Jim and Tammy Baker. Greed, 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 greed. That's all that was at the heart of what they had done, and it led to their ruin. It led to their destruction. This is why in commandment number 10, the Lord is calling us to live lives with genuine contentment because god knows that it is virtually impossible for satan to seduce to sin someone who is content in their walk with christ think about jesus himself in matthew chapter 4 satan comes to him he says you see all these kingdoms out here all over the world he says jesus i will cause all of these people out here to bow down and worship you if you will bow down and worship me what was Jesus' response jesus simply said to him he said be gone satan he said, I'm perfectly satisfied with everything that the Father has given me. You see, Satan couldn't seduce a satisfied Savior. How about the Apostle Paul? In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11, Paul writes, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. See, the devil comes along to Paul and he says, Hey, Paul, I'm going to take everything from you that you've got. And Paul simply says back to Satan, he says, Hey, look, I haven't gotten anything anyway. The devil comes along again. He says, well, hey, you don't have anything. Well, I'll give you everything then, Paul. Why, if you'll just follow me, bow down and worship me. And Paul simply says, hey, look, I'm perfectly content. I have everything I need in Christ. <clears throat> well, what's the devil going to do with a person like that? I mean, how do you get to a person like that that's content like that? Well, the answer is you simply can't. You don't. There's no way to. It's impossible. Someone who's content in Christ. And that leads us to question number three. How do you and I cultivate a higher level of contentment and a deeper level or a lower level 
of greed in our life? How do we cultivate a higher level of contentment and a lower level of greed in our life? Well, first we have to figure out what causes us to covet. What's the root cause? What's going on behind the scenes that causes us to want something that we don't have, to long for something that's not ours? What causes that? Because if we can figure out the cause, then we can figure out how to fix it. It is my opinion that the root cause of all greed and discontentment is simple unbelief. Simple unbelief. I want to share with you two biblical principles here, two great biblical truths. Biblical truth number one is that it is God's prerogative sovereignly to decide who has what in this world. And number two is that God makes this decision about who has what based on what God knows is utterly best for you. God is sovereignly in control of who has what, and God does so based on his knowledge of what's best for you. Now, follow my logic here. If those two biblical truths are right, and they are, then greed and discontentment are accusing God of not knowing what is best for us. When we want something that we don't have, we're saying, God, you don't know what's best for me. You who are sovereignly in control of what everyone has, you don't know what's best for me, God. And so we're accusing God. And accuses God of not giving us what's really best for us, of running our lives in a substandard way that is nothing but blatant unbelief, friends. And so the way to deal with greed and discontentment in our life is to believe God that he is sovereignly in control of our lives and that he knows what's best for our lives, that he can do a better job of running our lives than we can, believing that what he has given us at this moment in time is what is utterly best for us we need to believe god that whatever it is that we are coveting would be a step back for us would be a step back for us if we got it or even a disaster for us look at david look at eve look at Achan. look at all these people throughout scripture and all these people in our daily lives who when they finally get what it is that they've been coveting it ends up leading them to ruin and destruction Friends, we need to believe God, that he's sovereignly in control, and that he knows what's best for us. Now, if you're here today, and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you've never enacted that personal relationship with him, and you've been trying to find satisfaction in the things of this world, I'm here to tell you this morning, you will never find satisfaction in the things of this world. And the reason why is because the things of this world won't give you what you want. That's why all these people on TV, we see them, they have so much, and we say, well, if I could get what they've got, right? If I could have that, then I'd be happy, then I'd be content. Or or if I'd win the lottery like they won the lottery, if I could just get an infusion of cash, if my business would just take it up to this next level, then I'd be happy, then I'd be content. Friends, you'll never be content that way. Why? Because covetousness is an insatiable hunger. Covetousness is an insatiable hunger. Christ is the only one who satisfies. He and he alone. Jesus is the one who brings true contentment in life. So if you're here and you've never trusted in Christ in a real and personal way, my challenge to you is to stop trying to find satisfaction in your life in things that will never satisfy. 
come and embrace the one, the one who will satisfy in a personal walk with Jesus Christ. Just something for you to think about. Well, we're down to question number four. It's our last question of the day, and it's a question we ask each week. What difference does all this make to my life? Well, I want to talk a little bit more broadly beyond just this simple subject in answering that question. In answering this question kind of as from the perspective of the series as a whole. You know, we come to the end of these Ten Commandments and we realize that the big difference well, that I want for you to take away from the series. What we've seen is that God calls us to an utterly distinctive lifestyle. Week in and week out, if we have we heard these commandments fresh and new. We realize that God is calling us to an utterly distinctive lifestyle. He calls us to a lifestyle that's characterized by a burning passion for Jesus Christ. He calls us to a lifestyle that is characterized by godly singleness of heart and mind. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1 speaks to this singleness of heart and mind. Paul says, Since then, you have been seated with Christ, who is at the right hand of the Father. Set your affections on things above not on things of this earth. Now this conscious singleness of heart and mind, setting our affections on the things above rather than on the things of this earth, will cause us to use our time and our talent, our energy, our money, our everything, with our eyes fixed totally on the Lord, for things that are above rather than things on this earth. Friends, this attitude, this singleness of heart and mind, has been the attitude of every great follower of Christ in the scriptures and down through the ages. This attitude has been foundational to every great servant of God who has ever walked on this earth. People like Ruth from the Bible, people like Deborah, people like Moses, like Abraham, people like King David. We say, well, you know what, Gordon, though, somebody sprinkled some fairy dust on those folks. They were made out of different protoplasm than the rest of us. No, they weren't. They weren't at all. You see, the difference between them and us getting to the level where they are living our lives fully devoted to the Lord, is that they walk through life with a different foundation. They walk through life with a different worldview, a different perspective about the things of this world. Listen, Abraham left his hometown of Ur. He left behind his inheritance. He left behind his family. He left behind his home. He left behind everything that he knew to go to some middle-of-nowhere place to follow God. And... Why did he do it? Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 10 tells us. Because he was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. That is because he had his affections on the things of God. He wanted to follow God. He wanted for his life to be fully devoted to the Lord. Instead of to the things of this world. That's why he did it. And Moses who chose rather than to stay in the halls of the, of the princes of Egypt. And to participate in the sins of the princes of Egypt. He decided to cast his lot alongside the people of God. Why did Moses do that? Well, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 26 tells us. He was looking ahead toward heaven. Friends, his affections were set on heaven. His affections were set on eternal things. That's why Moses did what he did. And the Lord Jesus, why did he grow to the cross? Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 says that he went to the cross. He endured all of its shame. Here's why. Because he had his eyes fixed on the joy that God had promised him. The Apostle Paul, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8, tells us why he did the things that he did. He said, I've suffered the loss of all things 
and I consider them rubbish in exchange for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ my Lord. Here is a man who had set his affections on the things of eternity rather than on the things of this world. We could talk about John Wesley. We could talk about D.L. Moody. We could talk about Francis Asbury. We could talk about Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China. We could talk about Jim Elliott, who became a missionary to the Aukin Indians and gave his life there. We could talk about Mother Teresa, who gave up all that she had. We could talk about Fanny Crosby and George Whitfield. These were men and women who set their affections on things above. They set their affections on eternal things. They were laying up treasures in heaven rather than trying to build a treasure, a pile down here on earth where moth and rust destroy. They set every ounce of strength that they had, not trying to accumulate treasure on earth, but trying to lay up treasures in heaven. And that is what made them different. It wasn't fairy dust. It was that they had made a decision to follow the Lord. Friends, you and I can do that too, if we want to. And Jesus wants for every follower of Christ to want to come to that level of devotion, that level of following him. To live with this this singleness of heart, actively and intentionally laying up treasures in heaven, actively and intentionally setting our affection on things above. And this is the perspective that God is calling us to, to have the perspective of Moses, to have the perspective of Abraham, to have the perspective of Ruth, to have the perspective of Paul. Remember what Elisha said to his servant Gehazi? He turned to Gehazi when Gehazi had his armloads full of silver, right? And he turns to Gehazi and he says, 2 Kings 5 and verse 26, he says, Oh, Gehazi, is this the time? Is this the time to receive money or oxen or clothes or vineyard? Is this really what God has left us here on earth to do? Shouldn't we be setting our affections on things above? As followers of Christ, I want to leave us with the same question that Elisha asked Gehazi. And it's my prayer that every one of us will come up with a different answer than what Gehazi came up with. You know, in closing, let me say that I meet many followers of Christ today who have divided hearts, who have bifurcated hearts. They're trying to hold on to, with one hand, the world, and they're trying to hold on to one hand, the things of God. And Jesus says, that's not possible. He says, you're either going to serve me or you're going to serve the things of this world. You can't have both. Friends, we need to do this. We need to choose God deliberately and intentionally. We have to choose to serve him. And this is why the song said, I have decided to follow Jesus. You don't stumble into following Jesus. You decide to follow Jesus. We've decided that we're going to follow Jesus, that there's no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. I'm not looking back at the world. I don't have my eyes on the things of this world, coveting the things of this world. What I want are eternal things. That's where my, fo- my focus is. If no one goes with me, it doesn't matter. My eyes are fixed on Christ. I've decided to follow Jesus. Friends, this is the decision that I made. 
when I was 12 years old. I was at a youth service, went away to summer camp, and I sat in the back row the first night of camp with my friends, and I felt the tug of the Lord, his pull on my heart. And I decided the next night I was going to come up toward the front, and I was going to sit where I wouldn't be distracted. And I stood, and the Lord called me to serve him. And I had to make a decision. Am I going to follow the Lord? Am I going to hold on to the Lord? Or am I going to try and hold on to the things of this world? I decided to follow him. I haven't been perfect in that. I have not been perfect in that. But I've been passionate. I've been, for the most part, consistent. As the things of this world keep pulling, keep pulling, say, I want more. But every so often, I just have to say, Lord, I've decided to follow you. So, friends, the decision that each one of us who claims to be followers of Christ needs to make is, are we going to follow the things of this world? The pa- is our passion going to be for the things of this world? Or is it going to be for eternal things, for the things of Christ? Who really are we following? Following Jesus is a radical thing. And that's what I'm calling you to decide. That's what the Ten Commandments are calling you to decide. I'm going to ask if you would to bow your head and let's have a word of prayer. And then we're going to share a time of communion. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we submit ourselves now. We come before you, recognizing that a decision has been placed in front of us. And that, Lord, this is our moment. This is our moment to reaffirm a decision we made back when we were 12 years old, or 12 years ago, or last month. To reaffirm a decision we made to follow you to make our life about eternal things, to say no to the things of this world, they're behind us, and the cross is before us. Lord, in this quiet moment of communion, we ask, God, that you would just stir in our hearts, that you would give us the courage to hear your voice, to respond to your voice, to say yes to Christ. To allow our lives to be all about you. Lord, we're reminded that this table, representing your broken body and your shed blood, you had your eyes fixed on our eternity. Lord, may we fix our eyes. May we decide to follow you. We pray this in Christ's name.